0: Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, Deep Dive with Andy and the White Whale.
1: Welcome to the Deep Dive. Andy, March Madness is in the air. Can you feel it?
0: Oh, boy. It was very difficult to accomplish anything at work today. I know you had a busy day at work and you actually got something done, but it was my mind was elsewhere. Yeah, as yeah, I was looking yeah. at like all the brackets I have to fill out and thinking about everything that Mister Ed Fang said about bracket strategy and boy, just everything else. It uh, it's it's getting there. Plus, I mean, not only that, you know, you can say, oh, the bright, you know, it starts Thursday, but there's a the play-in game or whatever. But there's a there's a CBI or CI. I don't even know which one it is. I think it's CIT tonight. But yeah. there's a CIT game tonight on Monday when we're recording this. There's actually other games on the play in games. There's a S load of NIT games. Like there's like 15 games, a ton of games again on Wednesday. Like they, there's there's a lot of basketball. And it's funny too because it's kind of a Maybe a bit of a, a goofy thing, like how everybody comes out of the woodwork to bet the Super Bowl. Like this Thursday, there's going to be markedly fewer games played than on a normal Thursday. The media, <laughs> good coverage, point. You know, because uh, like Thursday point. and Saturday, like there's, there's going to be X amount of games. Yeah. Normally on Saturday, 120 games. Like, it's actually easier. They're, you know, much fewer games the stretch even with four tournaments going on r.i.p vegas 16 bring it back yeah um
1: the trade-off is that we know more about these teams than we've ever known uh and presumably the lines are going to be exceptionally tight um but let's save a lot of that for a full-on bracket deep dive tomorrow we'll bring a special guest on and get some some fresh perspective and some fresh takes on some of the uh college basketball madness that's about to ensue big week for the degenerate community um yeah and uh we're both heading to vegas this weekend it's gonna be a hell of a lot of fun uh cannot wait to watch some of you know some of this in you know tournament play live you know, with the ticket in hand, it's going to be a great experience. So, uh, it should be a fun weekend. It is going to be awfully tough to stay focused and get any work done this week. I completely agree with you. Um, but, you know, hey, Monday's over. So, you really only got to get through Tuesday and, uh, and Wednesday here. And then nobody in their right mind expects anyone oh, to get a no, full no, day I'm of flying work out with it. Thursday and It'd Friday. Yeah. So, um, yeah. All right, man. Well, um, let's, uh, but let's, let's save all the, you know, some more conference, uh, I'm um, sorry. Some more March Madness talk for tomorrow, and let's put another uh, Evergreen pot in the books here. Um, we did parlays and teasers last week. We've covered bankroll management. We've covered closing line value. We've hit some really interesting topics and had some pretty you know fun discussions just between the two of us. Um, and today we're going to pivot mm-hmm. right from something that you've been going. You know, you went deep into conference by conference tor- futures you know tournament futures had a great experience handicapping you know what 19 or 20 of the mid major conferences and picking out some futures with value is that uh uh it was and and from that experience we want to kind of draw on some lessons uh and some concepts and ideas surrounding placing futures and uh hedging appropriately um Basically, just extracting the value that you gain, presuming that you enter the market at a good time on any given future. Um, so, with that, uh, talk to me, talk to me a little bit about how your experience went handicapping all of these uh, conference <coughs> conference title features.
0: Boy, it was hard because, and I, I just just put something up on. I wrote down kind of how my experience went and how I. It, it was tough because I didn't really go in with a plan. I think it'll be more fun next year when I go in with a plan because I started falling in love with too many teams at once. Things got a little sketchy when I started placing four futures per. There was three leagues I placed four futures in, and none of those teams I think even made the final. Like It was just disaster land in some of those. Whereas like some of the ones where I just I picked a team, and and I stuck with them, and that was my squad. Those those did Actually, I guess it was it was a lot easier of a letdown if that team lost because you didn't lose. I Think that I'll have a little better strategy next year of maybe just laying off, not placing. What was it, fifty-two futures across the twenty-six small? It was a little strategy. You knew you had like it'd be a day I wouldn't even make a play. Like an against spread play, thirteen or fourteen teams that I had to cheer for to advance, just money lines, when it's, you know not all of them being favorites too. So it's uh, maybe more stressful than actually betting, but it was a lot of fun. Um, a lot of good questions, a lot of good interactions, and yeah, I mean just to, to preface what we're gonna maybe the DM and the question and the reply I got the most was regarding hedging. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, it's it's tricky. And even like off the air here, or not off the air, but, <clears throat> excuse me, before the Sunday morning ones, I think I had three teams in the finals uh, on Sunday. And I was sitting there working out different ways to hedge against it with round robin parlays, betting against making two or two and three team parlays. Is against my teams to see if I could even it out to make sure I didn't have like a disaster day if they went zero and three, and that is one way to use a parlay. Um, But yeah, I ended up of the fifty-two bets the whole time, which was kind of surprising. They were they went one and one. I mean, one was one was right, and I will say, and I did put this down in my in my notes that I just published up. One was a long shot, not a long shot, a six, six and a half to one I had in the finals and they were the favorite in the final. And then I ran the numbers as if I was going to bet that game, you know, as a single bet. And it, it almost had me betting on the other team. Wasn't quite there as far as my thresholds, but it said like this team that could ruin your bet shouldn't be that big of a dog. So it really pushed me to make that uh, that hedge against Nebraska-Omaha. Ended up betting on North Dakota State just to take the the easy money. And that one worked out. So I was happy that my model convinced me to do that since my other two final bets that day lost. Um, just Houston is such a good team. I just got nervous when Cincinnati got a lead and I said, Pulling the trigger, I'm, I'm taking out of this. Yeah, I'm pulling. That one
1: guy replying, that one guy I'm, replying I'm just, to yeah. everyone on the internet about how Houston was amazing. Really, probably was in your head a little bit. I got to imagine.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and Houston had. Just, I can't remember who I took against Houston a couple days before. that just Connecticut. Got yeah, Connecticut lost by fifty. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, Houston is Men- a very Memphis good team, covered. Though, right? Me- Memphis, Memphis covered. Memphis hung with them. Yeah, it seemed like I was involved in every Houston game. Yeah, for the few, I, I guess I should bet on honor against them here coming up. Okay. but no, it, it was a lot of fun. The hedging, but the the hedging yeah. complicated to explain. Two hundred and eighty characters sometimes, and even in DMs, it's tricky. Yeah, ba- I guess I mean if you want to just give a, a, a all-encompassing kind of definition for hedging, because it doesn't have to be like the case where I. I had with Nebraska or Omaha and North Dakota State where I was taking free money. Yeah, I mean so. it can be a, a buyout. It can be a buyout where you're you're losing money. Where you just saying, I'm I'm risking two units here. You can hedge and say no matter what happens, I'll lose a half unit. Yeah. You, you might not be a winner, but you you don't feel good about that initial bet. You bought your way out and you've hedged against it. So I mean, simply put, it's betting against your bet that you placed earlier
1: you're taking the risk out of you're taking the risk entirely off the table and you're securing whatever the value of the closing line value you have at that moment would be right like that's effectively what a hedge is right and um like you said it can be pretty much anything you can it it can basically be as severe as a buyout (laughs) where you are just eating the juice uh but you are taking your risk off the table uh, or it can be, you know, a, in a different way, you could have placed the 20 to one future that got shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter all season long. Uh, and the next thing you know, it's now trading at four to one to five to one. Um, and you want to take some of the risk off the table and secure some of the value that you have already, um, you know, already obtained mm. by means of, you know, placing a hedge bet, a bet that, uh, uh, you know, that takes away your risk. And, um, yeah, lots of ways to do this. People sell their tickets on prop swap for, you know, for all that were, you know, we're hand ringing about different ways to, to hedge or, uh, or you can hit the cash out button. If you are placing futures at a book that has cash outs, you know, there, there's many ways to do this and you kind of have to think about what's the right strategy and approach for you. But that actually goes a step backwards in my opinion to what's the point of placing futures? How does, you know, what is the role of, Future um, betting in the in the grand scheme of things in your sports betting experience, right? <laughs> Futures market, especially in the preseason, in general, is a relatively soft market. Okay, and I say that even oh, recognizing yeah. that all of these bookmakers install an enormous margin. On this market, like in general, you go from book to book to book, you add up the implied win, you know, break even probability for every, uh, future listed and you add them all up, you're going to get something like 130 ish percent. Right. And, and that's pretty typical for a season long market, uh, for, you know, to win the championship, uh, you know, a 30% margin is pretty common in terms of what the bookmakers are installing there. Uh, And the reason that they're installing this huge margin is because it's a very dynamic market, right? They are going to have to, they're going to be constantly taking action on in various places across the course of a long period of time. uh, And the easiest way to kind of protect themselves is just to slap an enormous margin in there, right? And I would say, you know, my opinion on, (laughs) the futures market in general being soft, you know, kind of speaks to – Yeah, because you 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 kind
0: of – you know, that kind of contradicts itself.
1: It does. When you say
0: it's a a soft market with a huge margin, the putting that – I mean, you're not wrong. I'm not saying you're contradicting yourself and you're being wrong because how many times do you see this when we get to, like, a championship series or the Super Bowl – and the book will say like we have a huge liability in futures against Team X or Team Z, however it is like, or or even you know you get to the Final Four and there'll be books that say like this would be bad for us if if this team won. So I mean, even though it does have a bigger a bigger hold percentage than your average bets, like it still can be a pretty soft market if you start looking at the numbers and putting some probabilities to things
1: yeah right and it's good and the, the kind of is just because it's very difficult to price a futures market preseason with how you know how much uncertainty there is uh and the fact that there will be peaks and valleys from any given team from day one to day zero right I mean to the to the final day of the season like like um and and you can you can approach the futures market in a way that really does kind of capture value if you time your market entry correctly. Uh, if you try to spread um, your capital across a number of different places, right? And this, so this is kind of a, 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 what would a, what is, what, are, what do the sharp players do uh, relative to the futures market? And. I would say you have to have, you know, we talk about, you know, Hey, are you doing this professionally? Like, uh, you know, how, but what's the size of your bankroll? Like how much, what percentage of your bankroll are you playing on any given game by game bet? Right? Like if you're into the futures market significantly and you're a sharp player, like you need an even bigger bankroll. Because that money is now set aside for the entirety of the season, you can't use it on a game by game basis. It just sits there, you know. Assuming you're you're posting it up, right? Which is, I think, what most people are playing the futures market. Um, you know, you're you just you're socking away some of your bankroll, uh, and it has to sit there and presumably accrue value over the course of the season, as you know, as the odds would get shorter and shorter and shorter. Um, now, if you were playing the NFL futures market, well, no, and year, even
0: even people yeah. who play credit books i i think most credit books work that way like it 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 just lowers your amount of available credit for the what you're working with for the year so i mean you have to look at that either either way you're either tying up bankroll if you're if it's a credit book a lot of them will just lower your credit as far as how much you have tied up into that so yeah it is it's tough to like justify you know so if you do have a smaller bankroll or it's just kind of a recreational thing, sometimes it sucks. Yeah, like you yeah. know these are great. These are great bets. These are probably good bets. But uh, you know, let's say I'm going to place ten of these, and I think I can win six. You know, is it worth tying up ten units for six, seven, eight months to win one and a half? <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, yeah. you know right. it, it is tricky, and that's where and that's where sometimes i mean it it'd be a really awesome if everybody just had a, a nice cash out book that didn't take too much for that, that that's uh that's not life i guess yeah so let's
1: uh let's do a little quick quick thought experiment so let's let's say you're playing the futures market in the NFL this past season um and let's say you had already kind of sketched out in your preseason plan like okay these are the prices that i think are way too uh, long now these are the prices that i see value in now and we'll say you saw in uh, we'll say the the rams and the chiefs for instance okay i'm gonna grab these two prices now and i'm gonna circle the patriots i'm gonna get on board with the patriots after they finish their kind of early season swoon that we see every year i'm gonna grab Uh, You know, some of these other teams that I think are priced too high, they may, you know, start slow and I'll I'll fill out my portfolio across all of these bets over the course of the season. I'll time my market entry perfectly. But my goal really is to outlay enough units across all of these teams that I have basically positive, you know, plus EV plays across, you know, 10 or so teams over the course of the season expecting to have, you know, most of the playoff field covered by the time we get there. And you could have executed this relatively effectively last season in the NFL just because of the way, you know, that some of the prices changed or, you know, week week in, week out, right? And then the question is, okay, now you've gotten to the end of the season. What do you have in play? You could have had, you know, 10 units at risk that, you know, that are all prices that are better than could have gotten – Placed at the very end of the season, just because you bet them early enough, or when they were in the downtime, people weren't even expecting them to make the playoffs. Uh, And now it's pretty straightforward: just fill out your portfolio, grab futures on the last two pieces right there. You have a positive expected value across all of these pieces in play, right? Like that's an easy, easy no-brainer. And you can even take this a step further and say, okay, yeah, I mean, and just
0: real, I mean, real simply on that too. Like if you if you absolutely think the price will be different at the end of the year. I mean, it shouldn't that just be a, automatically be a play? Yes. Yeah. Like absolutely. If you do the research, I mean, that that's kind of how, I mean, that's kind of how everything should be in this market. Just, that's if, right. <clears throat> you know, if you think, if you think, if you think it's going to be markedly different once you get to the playoffs, you know, yeah. outliers aside, you can always have injuries and wild stuff happen, but to to take a bet and watch it increase in value it's just like we talked with closing line value but on a much grander scale and you can have much wilder swings like just the the nebraska omaha then that wasn't even a season long that was over the course of a few days nebraska omaha was six and a half to one to win the tournament and then two games later they're minus 200 like the that's the kind of stuff that dreams are made of. Yeah. If you're right. betting, you know, a, if you were betting a single game and it went like that, that shit would be wild. That's incredible to get that kind of value, and that's where if you can identify some things and maybe have a little luck going your way too.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a yeah.
0: it's a great spot to be.
1: Yeah, and you know, if you have unlimited bankroll, like you can take the NFL example and say okay uh here are there are 32 teams that are lined. the margin is 32 well is 30 percent or so at this book you can kick out enough teams that if you identify these teams do not have a chance you can win on your way down to where you know you have an implied probability of you know of winning across all of these bets that's greater than you know what the the um you know what the implied price would have like like you can corner a market that way if you have a large enough bankroll and you're willing to just sit there and let it accrue value right like betting across 10 or 12 teams that you think have a realistic chance of winning any given championship in a season uh you know you can you can corner the market that way it's a pretty fun way to do it but you really do have to have an enormous amount of bankroll to play which then takes us all the way to the other side of the spectrum which is where i think most people who are listening most people who are players kind of exist when it comes to futures which is their fun lotto ticket darts that you're throwing at the beginning of the season and you hope at the end of the season you look up and they're still alive and then you send a dm to your favorite podcast co-host to ask them how to hedge which is i think where most of the folks will probably find some value from this podcast would you agree with that
0: yeah and it's you know as as preachy as we get in these sometimes about trying to do the right thing and be smart i do this shit too no, of course. Like uh, sure. it didn't it didn't work out, but that what was the one from football? It was and the Chargers meeting the Super Bowl at like a hundred and fifteen to one. There was it was very tough to hedge out of that ticket, and I didn't place very much on it, but I placed a ticket at a hundred and fifteen to one, and there was a time in the playoffs where that matchup was to one. Which is still a bit of a long shot compared to you know the like Patriots Chiefs or Patriot Patriots Chiefs Patriots Rams matchup, but it still felt pretty good to have a, a big old fat number in my pocket like that with a much better chance of realization than it was. And those are those are a ton of fun. Whether you're taking you know a real long shot on someone to win the you know World Series that you think has a chance to sneak into the wild card or just I mean if people don't know the Leicester City. Story. You should Go look that up. That it mm-hmm. was super wild. People cashing five thousand to one tickets.
1: Yeah, yeah. But those those come along.
0: Once asking in them for time, buyouts. Though.
1: Yeah, that that comes around once in a yeah. while. So I, we're not going to see that again. So so then what what so then the short answer to the question basically if you're in you know if you're at tournament time in the NCAA if you're at uh, you know in the playoffs uh, for um, you know any given professional sport. Uh, and you have a huge lotto ticket that has a chance of cashing. Should you hedge it? Almost certainly the answer is yes. I mean, almost certainly. Like, like, there's literally a very small group where I would say, you know, hey, look, if it's not life changing money, if you, you know, then, you know, don't sweat it. But like, legitimately, like, you've, if you've done something smart and you've captured some value just in terms of like, it was 100 to 1 when the season started and now it's 5 to 1. Like, absolutely capture that value the and by far and away the easiest way to do that is if you can find a two-way market and you can bet no (laughs) right like that is the by far and away the easiest hedge opportunity and you can do that at any particular time it gets much more complicated when you have something like the ncaa tournament and it takes six wins to secure a championship and this is where you know it kind of gets important to think through like okay when do i start hedging if I'm going to do it on a game by game basis, how much do I put, how much more do I put at risk here? Um, and because basically it can compound when you have as many wins as it takes in you know, for the likes of a NCAA tournament. And that's in general. that's why I steer clear of NCAA, you know, futures, because so much relies on path, so much relies on, you know, where the committee slots your team. And, uh, and really none of that is known until, you know, the eve of the tournament. Um, so it's, you know, it's tough. And I, you know, my rule of thumb, at least when we're playing, um, when we play some of the long shots for tennis, (laughs) right? Like, uh, in a grand slam in tennis, you need to win seven matches to win the title. Right. And my kind of rule of thumb is if it's in the five to 10 to one range, if that's where your ticket is you need to be in, presumably you need to be in the finals to have a realistic shot at a hedge there. If it's in the 10 to 20 to 25 range, semifinals or quarterfinals probably. You know, it's the final four or, or, you know, if you're in the final four uh, with a 20 to one, then it's time to start hedging. Uh, And if you're in like the 100 to one range, then you can think of starting to hedge once you're in like, you know, round four. Um, you know, once you have yeah,
0: there there are, four, yeah, there are times you know, where three, it's just so on edge it. to go.
1: Yeah, right, right, and they and the way
0: that you somebody can kind got of, uh, yeah, go ahead. the WCC tournament, they had it, and it was San Diego, I believe, was the team that got to the semifinal against St. Mary's. So he had he had a team in the semifinals of a tournament, four teams left, and his team was a hundred to one. But they had to beat Saint Mary's and then Gonzaga. And He's you know, telling me that's low probability. <laughs> well, and I said like Gonzaga versus Pepperdine a little worse than San, Mar- San Diego. Minus thirteen thousand five hundred on the money line. Like even if you beat Saint Marys tonight, like hedging against a hundred to one ticket isn't probably even feasible in the final. Like you'd be paying more than one to 100 in the final. So I said, that's, you know, it's, it's a cool ticket. Like, but it, it's not super hedgeable. You just, something like that. You just got to let it rip. And you know, he didn't put a ton on it. Obviously right, right. it's a hundred to one. You can't be putting your whole bankroll and shit like that. Great segue. But because it, those, yeah, you, sometimes it's, it's like, it's like sometimes you just got to let it rip.
1: So great segue. Uh, when you place a future that's of that magnitude, okay, and you're betting in the futures market, you are effectively saying that chaos will ensue. That's the other major, um, you know, the high likelihood, the the top of the market players in this market are going to be upset before it gets to the point where I'm going to have to uh, make a decision about this ticket, right? And so you're basically saying, Someone else will do the work for me. I don't care who it is, but because the alternative scenario, yeah, because the alternative scenario is is...
0: Pepperdine beats Gonzaga, yeah, and then all of a sudden you have a (laughs) hundred one ticket in the finals. where you're probably instead of a fifty to you know fifty to one on the money line, instead of that you're small favorite. Then holy shit. Yeah, you've done well. Yeah, and that's I I do want to I do want a hard segue because this was something that got brought up a lot. This is something that gets brought up on our other podcast I have with uh, uh, tennis futures because that is basically what we do is place futures on tennis tournaments every single week and the money line rollover question. I know we're going to get to that, but it really makes me think because I went back and forth and I just thought about this so much these past two weeks. And I think the chaos thing that you're talking about, that's the biggest key in should I take or should I do a money? Line? you don't know what a money line rollover or a open parlay is, it's just basically uh, some parlay open where if you want to do a four-team parlay, but you only have to put the f- first leg in. So basically, if you were betting Pepperdine to win the WC, TC the names, you'd do pepperdine and four open spots, and then when the next game opened up, you'd fill it with pepperdine. If they won the next game, you'd bet Pepperdine. You'd have a five team parlay with Pepperdine in every time. Or you can you can just keep rolling over the profits and betting that amount. It's it's I think it's essentially the same thing, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exactly, yeah. The rollover. You, so unless unless you have so, a weird book that has a weird parlay multiplier or something, but that's 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 pretty rare. Yeah. So um, yeah, no, so and, so
0: anyway. and then the difference there is like if I take a team on one side of the bracket at five to one, and I take that price pre tournament, and you want it, and they need to win four games, let's say, to win the championship, and you fail. Open an open parlay with that same team, and you say, I think I could probably get a better price by betting a four team parlay on this team every time. Mm-hmm. If on the other side of the bracket, let's say your team's the two seed, let's say on the other side of the bracket, the one seed is upset very early, it's really good for one person and not so great for the other. Yeah, absolutely. Because the then that's the risk you take and that's where you need to do a little deeper kind of analysis of what the probability you think of something like that happening is but you should base that decision i think because the fixed price oh shit i got a five to one and the one seed's gone my my opportunity is much higher to catch this ticket <clears throat> whereas the person with the rolling money line parley, whatnot all then they're not getting five to one because if they're and they, they, they might have a higher opportunity to win their parlay, this is not going to be as good because they will be facing a lesser team if the finals, you know, the pre tournament market thing, the price is just gonna be so much different than the parlay. So it's kind of a you got to weigh those opportunity costs and what you think is gonna happen in the rest of the brass, like you said, you think will happen because. And, and that's super tough like even then you're not gonna know it's it, you're trying to predict probabilities on whole bunches of individual you know you know events that are, are happening at different arenas yeah yeah in a whole big tournament like well let's talk about it's yeah super tricky let's talk it's kind of a so. it's kind of a preference thing
1: let's talk about a couple strategies though because i mean you know you can just you can sit back and say well i, I need some qualitative rule at least to get started right and basically if you see a real juicy price on a team that you think is better than everyone else thinks right and they have a better probability of winning than everyone else thinks and you want that you want to you want to extract some of that value the two choices that you have as you already mentioned and laid out is you can start staking a money line rollover or you can grab a future price, and your decision point on there literally should be: Am I expecting this team to do all of the hard work themselves, <laughs> or is or, or you know am, do I want to um, extract value f- because I think they're that that the t- the teams at the top of this market are where are are overpriced, and that's why there's value on this team, right? Because you can take a market like well, any, like of, that. your, any of your any of your you know, yeah, because you're basically, is my team so underrated and they're going to do all the hard work themselves? Or are the teams at the top of the market overrated and they're going to get bounced early? and then that, ah, that, it, That's
0: that why we keep you, you around. Know. That was well put.
1: <laughs> because, and you can do, you can do this test, right? Like, let's say that you have a one seed in a conference tournament that was minus, you know, that was plus 100, right? And then all of the rest of them are long shots. And you see value in some dog that's in the 9-to-1 range, right? Your team presumably has around a 10% chance of winning the tournament. But if the team that's 1-to-1 gets knocked out, there's 50% right there that gets now reallocated to everyone who is, who is left. So what would happen then to a 9-to-1 is it would basically get cut in half. Right now, instead of 10 percent likelihood to win, now it's 20 percent because the 50 percent is gone and the rest gets balanced out. Right. And you can actually do this experiment by putting all the prices in a spreadsheet, turning them into implied probabilities and then, you know, re, um, redistributing them once you take out whoever you think is overrated on there. And you would actually see for yourself what kind of value you would get from, you know, some upset happening in terms of what your future price would be. That's useful exercise. Uh, and then the other side of the coin here is price, you know, price the money lines. Uh, you can actually come up with relatively reasonable money line prices, uh, just by taking the futures and, you know, kind of carrying those through and you, you know, you can, you can back calculate what the expected money line prices would be for any two teams in a futures market. And, uh, and stack all the money lines up and see what you get in terms of a of a money line rollover yeah. type of play. So, I mean, this is all doable math. Yeah. Uh, basically and, is the key.
0: And something something I didn't touch on too is the another pro versus con to the money line rollover is the flexibility it does afford you as far as not having to put more money in against yourself. You can you can bail you can say I ah, finals match up. Let's say you have a fixed price on a team, and their star player gets hurt in the semifinals in a win. They're in the finals, but like they're they're not as good of a team as they were, you know, the mm-hmm. day before. Whereas <laughs> you know the the price yeah. instead of the, the another team getting knocked out, you can say well, I'm bailing on this. So I'll fill this parlay with something else. Or if you were just rolling money over, you can just. Uh, another good move I saw somebody who was doing uh, a lot of the futures I did on, on Twitter, but he was doing all overs. And he was actually, it was cool. He's letting me know what his were coming to. Uh, in a couple of he opted to add his last leg as the spread if they were an underdog. Whereas it cut down on the price, really increased, you know, it based leg into a, you know, a fifty two percent chance of cashing a plus money parlay.
1: Yeah. yeah. So there's
0: a lot of a lot more flexibility if you do go that route. I, I do like I like that move a lot actually it was as far as putting it in as uh, the spread rather than the money line on the last leg.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um strategy then for futures is pretty I you know we've we've covered this a lot over the years of and and talked through talking through this for various sports, but clearly, you know, to think about how long will, you know, how long is this going to take to extract value? uh, That matters, uh, obviously, because you're presumably tying up bankroll that you could use otherwise. Uh, Then specifically, how do you want to to enter the market um, at the right time? That's also a no-brainer. If you had entered the market on the New England Patriots after their week three loss to the uh, Detroit Lions, you could have gotten substantially better price and had much more flexibility on what to do with that ticket uh, than if you had placed it preseason or at any point in time once they kind of put things together. Um, And, you know, so market entry timing is huge. And then, you know, whether you decide to enter the futures market or play a mold money line rollover is huge. Um, Now...
0: Market entry is something we talked about a ton during the football previews, and we will again this year. Like, there's just... There's just going to be better times to get in on some teams. And we'll do that again when we break down the schedule. And not that we write about it, but we it's definitely worth taking the time and looking at and the calendar and remembering like, here's a really tough st- stretch for a really good team. And this team two or one and three in this stretch and still be one of the four best teams in the conference in the NFL, in this example, that might be a really good time to buy on them. It's you know it's simple like the simplest stock market stuff of buying low when when you think you have a really good team that is going to have a st- you know to be a tough stretch for any team no matter how good they are they might do poorly and you might get a much better price than say pre during a during a good stretch like that might be the worst move you can make is, is to bet on a hot team for future. Like that, that's, that's the worst price you might get. Yeah. It's uh, it's kind of, you know, yeah, no doubt. Buy the rumor, sell the news. Uh,
1: That's, that's exactly right. Um, you know, looking ahead at soft spots in, in, in the calendar and getting action down just prior to that is one of my favorites. Also, um, the strategies then for hedging are are all over the place really um oh, yeah. just some personal you know i'm not a futures player where i'm walking up tons of bankroll uh over the course of the season unless it's something that i have priced substantially far off like warriors to win the title last year or um you know colts at 100 to one you know what i mean like there, like there's a, it's rare that i'm getting involved Uh, you know, at any significant amount in the futures market. Um, Just because I don't like to have my bankroll tied up, I find that flexibility is important for me. Um, But when I do have... So when I have tickets and they're relatively long shots that are deep into playoff rounds, my my typical go-to move for a hedge is to just grab a stake in the opponent in the same futures market. So basically, instead of, you know, trying to... And this again, a lot of this depends on how much you have on your original stake, all sorts of stuff. This is a very, very not not. This is not an easy discussion to have. Right. Because everybody's different. But I for sure, um, you know, let's say I have a tennis player who makes the fourth round at one hundred to one. Right. And he's going up. You know, it's 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 he's a dog in his fourth round fight. um, But his opponent to win the title at that point is three or four to one right or even five to one like i am more than happy to swap out some of my value uh accrued by putting a unit or two in play on his opponent and then that way you win you get 100 to one to the next level but now you have basically two or three units that you know at stake um or you have uh you know you've swapped it for uh you know a, a, a play that you can potentially then continue to ride throughout the rest of the tournament so, you know, that's that's a fun
0: Yeah, I guess up. would you say there's two like, you know, it's it's not all black and white, but really <clears throat> two different types of futures in my mind. The kind that say this can win and this price isn't isn't where it should be and this is and there's probably can't win but this price is way too big and there's going to be an opportunity down the road to turn this into positive money. I mean, there there are some where you just you know, like Chung wasn't going to win the Australian Open. Would you get like a thousand to one on him?
1: Yeah, or eight hundred to one. Eight hundred to one. Yeah, right. Eight hundred
0: right. to one, and he do he how far did he get?
1: Uh, semifinals. Orders, he lost to uh, he lost to Fed in the uh, in in the yeah. semifinals, I believe.
0: Yeah, I mean, th- there's there's times like that where. where it, the numbers just ridiculously wrong, and you have to bet it and see if you can't make your way back on it, it to make money back. But yeah, in my I don't know how do you how you feel about that. But say, no, there no, are same. some people sure, who would sure, say sure. don't ne- don't ever bet. There there are people who would say that don't ever bet a future on hedging out of. I think the math guys will probably maybe give us grief if they hear this, and they'd say never hedge a future you're devaluing a bet that has accrued so much value. Whereas, you know, the, that's, it's good and all, like probably if you're a pro, but especially, you know, if this is more recreational or hobby or you're just having fun, like you're never going to reach that long term threshold of hedgeable bets to, to maybe see that value. And like, it, it is like whale said, up kind of, if, I mean, if you have a long ass parlay that you made and, we yelled at you for making parlay you know if if you can hedge out of the last leg of parlay and make a bunch of money oh, and that's a big deal to you you should absolutely. always do that. absolutely oh i mean don't let greed get in the way of taking half of a bunch yeah right right you know, it, it feels so take, sweet
1: yeah take some of your risk off the table and uh and and absolutely, absolutely. I 100% agree with you. Um, the other thing that I, you know, the other kind of common strategies, obviously, are re- revolving around hedging, you know, besides getting, taking more, besides basically getting more exposed in the f- same exact market, uh, which is my, my go-to move uh, just because it's fun to do it that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can, you can put an open parlay of money lines in with your opponent, um, if he if he's a favorite and you don't want to have like an enormous, you know, just a, just a joke of, uh, you know, I have to put 50 units at risk at minus 200 in order to, you know, get back my value on this 500 to one ticket or whatever. Yeah. I mean, like that's, that's ludicrous obviously. And so, you know, in those instances putting, uh, you know, an opponent in as a money line, uh, you know, money line parlay, uh, makes sense to me. Um. Alternatively, if you are at a hedging position and you're the favorite, like you were mentioning with your Omaha, uh, Nebraska Omaha ticket, like that's the best of both of all worlds because you've got a built-in middle. (laughs) You've got a built-in middle. You could have taken, uh, you know, North Dakota plus whatever, you know, plus five. What were what were they on the on the point spread? Got a built-in middle, basically.
0: Yeah,
1: but yeah, yeah, presumably, presumably, built-in middle
0: is yeah. We really didn't touch on metals at all. And because, you know, about with hedging, because we do want to talk hedging with futures, but hedging can be. I mean, I I love the one before. If you, I'm, I'm never going to dissuade someone from trying to find a middle if they you know uh, i hopefully you're watching the game and you have a feel for it and you're not just slinging money around but if your bet is winning by a shitload at halftime it is awful tempting to do that i don't know how often you do that whale but like if you can have like a a 15 point middle in like the nfl i do that every time at least for a little bit yeah
1: yeah yeah no i mean you presumably you should be watching i don't advocate placing halftime stakes or live wagers for a game. You're not, you know, you're not keeping diligent track of, but yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Middles are, are awesome. They're amazing. And when you have a futures ticket and it's at relatively long odds and they are in a hedgeable position as a favorite, then go for that middle every freaking time. I love that. Um, yeah. So those are kind of the basics and, and general thoughts around uh, futures and uh, and hedging. Uh don't be afraid to hedge, really. This is not a macho thing. Uh, you know, and and unless... You know, even... I don't know. I, I don't know what to say about life-changing money type of thing. Like, I kind of feel like if it's life-changing money, like, that makes it even more important to hedge. <laughs> like, half of life-changing money is a lot of money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just... Yeah. It's just it. Yeah, it's just... Uh, you, it, you don't have to do it for half.
0: Maybe... If you still want to be a sweaty Betty and risk some, you you know you, you can hedge smaller. You know you don't have to go as go half and half and win the same amount. You can hedge out Great part point. of your liability and guarantee. You know, let's say you have some wild ass parlay that's gonna win like two hundred thousand. You don't have to yeah. hedge There's the no. last game and yeah. guarantee a hundred thousand on either. You can hedge some and say, you know either I'm going to win a year two or 20. Yeah. Something like that. Granted you have to have a fat wad of cash to hedge that.
1: Right, of course, of course. But yeah, I mean it's uh, you know hedging taking away your risk, kicking your feet up. It's a mathematical exercise and it's absolutely something you should consider if you're talking about two you know outcomes that will be decided in a given game. Like for sure a final is the easiest position to come up with a hedge if you were hedging before a final. You have to be extremely careful and cognizant of what else you are adding to the pot in terms of liability, right? Like, cause if you have, uh, you know, one, let's say, let's, let's talk about, um, you know, let's talk about, uh, uh, Kelly's 300 to one on, on uh, Herkes, right? He got that guy to the quarterfinals. Maybe you playing should Federer, explain
0: who that is. Not right? Kelly, but her Nobody Herkes,
1: knows who yeah. that is. What? Hubert. 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 Yeah. Explain yeah. It who was, that is. It was th- 300, to one, 300 to 1 long shot made the quarterfinals of Indian Wells. He was three wins away from the title. Okay. At that point, you might think I have a really valuable freaking ticket. Like, I can now make a 100 a unit bet on Federer to win this match. Right. And or you know, or or something along those lines. Right. And that you know, if Herkaz wins, then you've now lost that one hundred unit play. Uh and your one unit to win three hundred on uh on Herkaz is what? How does this math work?
0: It's not good, Bob. <laughs>
1: Because now you've got 101. You've now, now you've, yeah, right. You're not getting that 100 units back if Herkaz
0: gets there. So, no, now now instead of a 300 to 1, you have a 3 to (laughs) 1. Yes. Yes. Less than a 3 to 1. In fact, it's roughly a 3 to 1. And at this point, you were, yeah, you, it's, it's tough. You can't just, you can't just hedge that hard. You have to look at the future. You have to. I mean, at some points you have to ask some people who know better than you, what are you, what are the implied money lines going forward here? So I can start to put together a plan because you can't just start going heavy like that. You have to, you have to realize while you do have a valuable ticket, it is not so valuable that it you can hedge against as a huge favorites, you know, as he plays huge favorites, like Roger Federer, I don't, remember exactly what kelly did but you you do need to find your way out of it
1: right because he would have presumably had to play nadal next and then he would have had to play whoever in the final so there were there were (laughs) going to be three very expensive uh hedges on the other side of that and what kelly did was pretty smart he took uh he took a couple of cracks uh a little bit riskier plays on federer uh taking care of business basically uh, and in doing so, he guaranteed that okay, if there's a point in time in this match where Herkaz looks competitive and might get a win, uh, then he was going to be able to get a live price on Federer to really kind of co- more comfortably cover some of his his winnings and scoop some of his winnings. So. Yeah. It's tough. When you have these super duper duper long shots and you're, you know, you're, you got dollar signs in your eyes and you're like, I'm going to get rich on this sort of stuff. Like you got to really, really, really sit down and do the math. And this is all a math problem. And there's always, you know, as long as the futures markets in, at any given book are open and you can look across those prices, you can very, very straightforward way, um, convert them to implied probabilities, sum them up. Uh, Use the implied probabilities of any two players to help you estimate what the money line price would be if they matched up. Have you ever done that? Have you ever thought about that? Like if you have, if if there's like four, if there's like four or eight teams left. Do the math. I mean, yeah. If there's four or eight teams left and you have few, you know, you have two wins prices on all of those eight teams you can tell pretty well what the money line price would be between any two players by taking their futures and re um you know recalculating that for a 50 50 market right do you know what i'm do you know what i'm getting at yeah right yeah, yeah. like so basically you don't really have to have like total guesswork on the, what the money lines are going to be like this is a kind of a closed form solution where you can do the math on this, and and uh, and figure out the right way way to to deal with this sort of stuff. Um, just be kind of you know, just be cognizant of you know what what markets you're getting involved in, and and uh, you know, and it's it's damn hard to win six games uh, in the NCAA uh, March Madness. It's just damn hard, and having these kind of long shot college basketball futures and figuring out what to do with them now that you see the bracket is not easy. Like your best bet really is just to sit on it and hope for chaos. (laughs) Like, like you, you really presume you, whether you realize it or not, even if you have a relatively good price on some team that's done way overachieved this season, right? Like what do you think the preseason odds were on like Tennessee? Probably like 50 to one ish. Right. Yeah. Like, let's say you have, let's say you have Tennessee at 50 to one. And they've, they've got a two seed now, right? Presumably, you've got a ton of equity in that ticket. What the hell do you do with it? How soon do you start hedging it? What's, what would be a reasonable strategy <coughs> with a 50 to 1 Tennessee ticket in your pocket? Is it even worth it? Final
0: four? That? No, we can. <laughs> it's tough. Like, even when you get to the Elite Eight, there's still three games to be played. It's awful tough. And, and it will depend on the other teams. Like if Duke and Gonzaga are on the other side still, and I mean it it's gonna be very difficult to extract some. I I I suppose once you got to the final workout of plan there, because they're not gonna be enormous underdogs. They're still a, a high quality team, but um yeah, the it 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 does it does depend on who's left. Like you That's the tough part. You can't really make plans now. You don't know. Like if there's wild ass chaos on the other side, they're the best team left by a damn sight. You can, you can start doing some work. Yeah. Right. That's right, man. Yeah. And I, I have to stop and this, this is going to be absolutely not evergreen, but people should remember this years from now. Did you see Curry shot? No. Right. (laughs) So from, from the, from the right behind the three point line, the arc, but the opposite end, a three-quarter court shot, bank shot, to oh. to tie the first quarter. <laughs> I'm seeing. I've seen at least one ticket now for like first quarter Spurs money line.
1: Oh, take a lap. Just, just <laughs> take a lap. <laughs> take, oh, that,
0: take a lap. Noops. Yeah, it's someone we know.
1: Uh, oh, Noops had. It? Oh, damn. Yeah, dude. apparently. Oh, damn. Um. All right, man.
0: Well, oh, I think. My goodness. I think don't, no, this was this. good. Yeah, um, I think we this as, Yeah, well. as always, just con- continue to DM about this sort of stuff. Yeah, because right, it is right, tricky right. thing too. Like, if you have one of these, right on Twitter and a post like, "Hey, somebody help me with this." Somebody's yeah, always like, what do I do? Help, yeah. help helping yeah. this like that's my like, super. Yeah. That's actually a super good strength. Yeah, my uh... hopefully somebody can help me with this math. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's a it's a math problem. It's solvable. That's all I can tell you. Uh, And if you are right now currently looking at some college basketball ticket that you have super duper value in that you you think you do, um, unfortunately, there's not much you can do right now. (laughs) You you need chaos. Like you literally need. um, You know, you need your region. You need.